Heavenly Father, we thank you that we got to hear your word read. And we thank you that uh, you have preserved this word for us. Lord, now as we come to reflect on your word, as we come to think about the implications of what your word says, as we come to hear from you and be transformed by you, please open our ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to your church. Please, Lord, use my tongue for your glory. Lord, may the meditations... The, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Christmas Day is coming. What's it like when you have the family come around to your place? You, what do you do? You, you get ready. You get prepared. You make sure that the decorations are up. The table is set just right. The meat's in the oven cooking so that it'll be ready on time. When you're expecting people to come to you and when you're expecting to entertain guests, you prepare for the occasion, don't you? Today we're looking at a passage about preparing to entertain a very special guest, God himself. But to get ourselves in the mind of preparing for this guest, to get ourselves in the zone for where um, Isaiah is speaking to these people in Isaiah chapter 40, 700 BC, by the way, not 700 years ago, because that was... (laughs) Just in case you're a little bit confused because Jesus had come and gone by then. Um, That's all right. 700 years before Jesus... Uh, turned up when Isaiah was speaking to these people. He was speaking to the people of Judah, a people who were harried, weary. And maybe you can identify with that, especially as we come to this part of the year. Weariness, tired. Everything's kind of heightened as we experience the ups and downs of life. Maybe just in general. Maybe it's got nothing to do with the time of year. Maybe you just feel weary. You feel burdened by your trials. You feel homeless in this world. Between places. Never at rest. And if you know something of that feeling, then you know something of what it was like for the people of Judah in that time. 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah was writing to a people who had suffered. They had experienced the trials of a godless government, of uncertainty about the future, of other countries coming and attacking them. They had known slavery and drought and disease. They knew the ongoing despair of being a people who kept falling into sin and idolatry. And they knew what it was like to receive God's justice, God's judgment. Yet here, through the prophet Isaiah, God speaks of comfort. He speaks to his people. He speaks kind and tender words. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to them. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, 
that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So for the people of Israel, they might be wondering, is is the end in sight? Perhaps we will know peace in our days. Is the warfare really ended? Will our sins, will our iniquities really be done away with? Could it be? It was a message of hope. In these days, Israel is looking square down the barrel of the rising superpowers in the north. The northern tribes have already been decimated by these superpowers. Jerusalem still stands, but the prophets have long predicted doom for Judah. And in the midst of that, God speaks these comforting words. Jerusalem's warfare is ended. It's comfort in the midst of uncertainty. But soon enough, Jerusalem would fall. Warfare would come to Judah. They would be exiled. So so how can Isaiah come with these words of comfort at this time? It's because he's looking past their immediate future. He's looking into the mists of time and and pronouncing a future hope, a hope that was to come, a future day when war would indeed be over, when their sins can be pardoned. Isaiah announces a prophetic oracle that looks into the misty future and paints a picture of hope. These words let the suffering and downtrodden dare to dream of the day when the heavy hand of God's judgment might be lifted. But what will that day look like? How will we know it's coming? How can we prepare? Isaiah's prophecy gives the answer. In the wilderness... Prepare a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When the days of comfort arrive, there will be a voice, one crying out, a prophet who will call out for preparations to be made for the coming of God. This voice will call people to make things ready for God's glory to be revealed. Smooth it out. Fill in the potholes. Do the earthworks. You remember what it was like before the second range crossing was built? It was nothing but hills and trees. I got to drive the second range crossing corridor before it was built and I think it took us a couple hours to drive from Helladon to the top of the hill. But what now? The terrain was rough, the slopes were steep, but now the way is easy and smooth. It takes a matter of 20 minutes or so to do the same trip. They moved mountains to cut a highway through the bush. The high spots were excavated and the low spots filled. They prepared the way 
for us. This voice that Isaiah speaks of calls out in the wilderness for such a highway to be made. In the desert, in the rough places where the way is hard. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places a plain. For the wandering and oppressed people of God, a way will be opened to God. For us to go to him and for him to come to us. In that day, Isaiah prophesies God's glory will be revealed to all, all peoples. Both those who love God and those who oppose him will get to see his revealed glory. The hidden nature of God will be shown to the world. The curtain will be pulled back, as he says in verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And it's... It's that sure promise of God. It is his word and God always keeps his word. It's enough for God just to say, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And there we know that it is certain and it is true. And if that wasn't enough, a few verses later, he says, he says in verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but... The word of our God will stand forever. God always keeps his word. When God makes promises, he keeps them. He did back then and he does it now. Our God is unchanging. From everlasting to everlasting, he remains the same. He always delivers. He never fails. He never falters. But his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. So it doesn't always turn out the way that we expected. But God's promises are sure and we can rely on them. And I I just want to ask for a moment, are you resting and relying on God's promises? Do you believe what he said is true? Perhaps you're doubting. Brother, do you believe that God will deliver? Sister, do you trust that God will come through? Or are you doubting? Do you think that God doesn't care about you because you suffer trials in this life? Perhaps you're borne down by the weight of your failures. And you doubt that God is actually looking out for you. Do you long for God to lift his heavy hand of affliction from you and think, maybe he's just abandoned me? Friends, the way of this life is hard and the burdens are real. The suffering that we experience is great. But God has promised that he will alleviate the sufferings of his people. He will come through. He comes to comfort his people. He speaks these gentle words of kindness to us to cheer our failing hearts. He comes to give us hope 
that this will not be our lot forever. He will not always chastise. He will deliver us. And this was a message of hope to, to Judah through Isaiah. But it's also a message of hope to God's church everywhere. God will come. The hard ways will be smoothed. The tough going will become easy. God will come and show his glory to the world. But not yet. For the people of Judah, they had to wait. And it was a long wait. It was a hard wait through exile and oppression, through war and persecution, through destruction and death. No one in Isaiah's day got to live to see the fulfillment of that promise. It would not be a reality in their lifetime, but the promise still stood. And it was still fulfilled. And it was their hope, even as they went down into the grave, that maybe one day they would see God's glory revealed. They waited generation after generation. They hoped, they prayed, they despaired. Would God really keep his promise? Has he abandoned us? But then one day, a voice is heard crying in the wilderness. He lifted up his voice and he called out, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This voice crying out in the wilderness, his name was John. He lived in the deserted areas along the Jordan River. He preached. He called. He declared that people should prepare themselves for the coming of God. God had waited long enough and he sent his servant John to get his people ready. Get prepared. How are they to get ready? Should they get their shovels and pickaxes and go and make a highway in the wilderness with smooth asphalt and guide rails and gentle grades? Not out there, but in here, in the heart. The people are called to prepare their hearts to repent and believe. To turn away from their sins. To turn away from their evil ways and be cleansed. And they even went through a symbolic washing to show that they were pure and ready for God's coming. They went down into that river to be baptized. A bath to show their spiritual cleanliness ready for God's kingdom to dawn. This was the highway that needed to be prepared. It's a highway in the hearts of God's people. And the local, the local religious bigwigs, they got heard, uh, sorry, they got wind of what was going on and they said, what's going on here? Maybe the promises are being fulfilled So they send a delegation down to find out. I'm reading from John 1.19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, 
What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. The Jewish people were waiting for this anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Is John the expected Messiah? No. Is he the promised great prophet that Moses mentions in Deuteronomy? No. Maybe he's Elijah. Because remember, Elijah never died. He was carried off to heaven. And so the people were thinking, oh, maybe Elijah will make a guest appearance at the end of time. And John says, no, I'm not Elijah, though he is a type, a pattern of Elijah. So they're fed up. (laughs) They they say, clearly something's going on here. What's your deal? And John sets the record straight in verse 22. They said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John owns up. He says, look, I'm not those other promised ones, but I am a promised one. I'm the voice of one preparing the way. But the religious guys aren't satisfied. They're still, they're just not quite getting it. He says, so what right then do you have to baptize people? Why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. They didn't see, they missed the point. If John's promised, if John is the promised wilderness voice, it's his job to get people ready. And baptism with water was part of that process. It was the prelude to greater things. It, John's a prelude to God's arrival. He's the, he's the prequel, the preface, the introduction. He comes before. And the symbolic spiritual cleansing that he was calling people to was a sign of things to come. You see, John is a gospel messenger. Even before Jesus has turned up, he comes with the good news that the kingdom of heaven is coming. And that they need to repent and trust God. He turned up to let people know that it was time for God's promises to be fulfilled. They don't need to wait any longer. God is coming. His glory is about to be revealed. If I could put some words in the mouth of John, I would say, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. But sometimes it's easy to dismiss the herald of good news. Somebody gives you some good news or says, oh, this has just happened. And we're usually a bit skeptical. I'll believe it when I see it. Or prove it. Show me the money. It's probably a fake. Or it sounds too good to be true. We live in an age of skepticism, a time when we get phone calls, people trying to swindle us of our money. 
or where there's people online trying to whip us up into a brainless fanaticism for the sake of the latest cause. Or maybe we get emails from Nigerian princes who just just want to gift us vast sums of money. As a, as a people, we are naturally on guard against the next swindle. And that's not too far from where the Jews were in that day, in John's day. It seemed like every few weeks there was a new guy proclaiming that he was somebody important or even that he was the coming Messiah. Some people were trying to herald the kingdom of God with a bloody war. Some thought they needed to pull away from the world and go and hide on a mountain until God came back. Some thought they needed to just behave better and then God might return. And some thought... Not too sure about this whole God coming back thing. Let's just try and get along with the Roman overlords. In such a world where there were so many competing voices, who do you trust? You know that John's on the right track. Whose message do you listen to in a field of competing voices and potential scammers? The best bet in those circumstances is to turn to God's word. He is faithful and true. His promises never fail. John came proclaiming the promises of God, calling people to turn back to him with their whole heart and be obedient to God. So in the cacophony of competing voices, it's always good to listen when we're being called to obedience. When we're being called to faithfulness in light of God's promises, it's always good to listen. It will always take us forward, even if somebody's theology is not quite right, even if they've made past mistakes, even if they're saying the right thing in a tactless way, (coughs) full out, (coughs) we still ought to heed it when they are bringing to us the word of God. We still ought to be obedient in the midst of all the competing voices We humble ourselves to God and his word. After all, when we hear those competing voices and we hear God's word being spoken to us, we're not heeding people. We're heeding God. We're responding to God's message. Friends, John came repeating the call of Isaiah to prepare for the return of God and to make the way smooth. And that's still a call for us today. As preachers throughout history have called people to repentance and faith, so we continue to do here, and I will do today. We echo that call once again. Prepare yourselves for God's coming. Repent from your sins. Turn away from all the wrong you have committed. Turn to God. Or as James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be ready to receive, because God's coming. But you'll say, I'm not a sinner, not that bad. I pay my taxes, I love my family, I'm a decent bloke who helps my mates. Sure, I've, I've done some bad stuff in life, but I never killed anyone. I didn't ever steal from anybody who didn't deserve it. As long as 
as long as my lifestyle isn't hurting anybody, I'm, I'm all right. Wrong. We all stand condemned if God was to come to us. And his judgments aren't measured against how we think about ourselves. He doesn't measure on a sliding scale. He who knows all things can examine our whole lives in a moment and see the utter depravity of our hearts. He can see our failures, our failures to love, our bad attitude, that even when we're doing a good deed, it might be to get one up on our friends. He can see our hatred of those we should love. And he can see our ongoing failure to obey his commands. Even if we're obeying them on the outside, we're probably... We're often rebelling against him on the inside. God will expose your wretched heart on the day when he comes to judge the world. Everything will be laid bare. Your darkest secrets will be exposed to the light of God's purity. And he will crush all who oppose him. Friends, we need to be cleansed. We need to be prepared We need our sins washed away. We need to have our life turned around and to have our spiritual debts paid for us because we're living on borrowed time. The patience of God is ongoing, but the patience of God is to lead us to repentance. Why doesn't he smite us whenever we do something stupid and rebel against him? It's because he is patient and waiting to lead us to repentance. But that patience is not going to last forever. That patience is coming to an end. It won't be long before our time is up. So if we are to repent, if we are to turn around, what does that repentance look like? Well, if I was driving down the road towards church this morning and I decided, no, I'm not going to church anymore, and I turned around and went back home, then you could say, I repented of coming to church. I turned around. I went the opposite direction. That's not to say I won't come back to church again. But in that moment, I was repenting. Now, obviously, coming to church is a good thing. But the point remains that that's the idea. When we talk about repenting, we're talking about turning away, going the other direction. When it comes to our sin, repentance doesn't mean that we will never fall into it again, but it does mean that we have an attitude of going away running away from it. It means acknowledging that this is something that is not good before God and I need to turn away from it. What might that be? I'm sure all of you know those sins at the forefront of your mind which you're like, man, I just wish I could repent and get rid of this in my life. Is it the loose tongue that you use to tear somebody down? Perhaps it's the rising anger in your heart towards others who you think should know better. Perhaps it's the ongoing theft as you pirate movies or all manner of things that we know. I'm sure you've got that sin in your mind that you, can, that you, you wish could be taken away. Repentance looks like acknowledging that this is not of God and turning away from it. And that means taking active steps 
If it is a pirated movie collection, it doesn't just mean saying, oh, well, I've, I've already stolen these ones and so I'm not going to steal any more. It means getting rid of, turning away means getting rid of everything which we stumble everything that is part of our stumbling. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. He's talking about living a life of repentance and getting rid of everything that entangles us. Why do we do it? We do do it so that we please God, but it's not so that we earn our salvation. It's so that we're ready to receive the salvation that we have through Jesus. Will you be ready? Are you ready to receive Jesus' salvation? Will you be ready for God's glory to be revealed as one who will celebrate the beauty and the majesty of God? Or will you be one running in terror because you were not ready? Will you heed the call? Will you come into God's kingdom with joy or run in terror? There's only two options there. There's no sitting on the fence. There's no kind of seeing how it will work out in the wash. It's either for God or against God. So John came as that voice, calling out people to prepare for God's coming, to get ready for the main event. After so many years waiting, you might expect that the main event would be a little bit further down the track. John might come and then, you know, the main event comes a little bit later. But no. (laughs) One day after him owning up to the fact that he was the voice calling out in the wilderness, Jesus turns up. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes one who ranks before me because he was before me. This is the one that John is waiting for. Here is the one who the people are preparing to receive. Here is the one who will take away their sins. Here is the one who is God coming to us, Emmanuel. Here is the one who will take us to God. He is the one who will tread the smooth road of our repentant hearts to bring God to us. John heralded the arrival of God who has come to reveal his glory. Jesus is the one who pulls back the curtain. Jesus is part of the glory of God revealed. He is the image and voice of God who walked on the earth and who taught us and who leads us even now. He is the great prophet prophesied by Moses. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. That's that's what Christ means. That's what Messiah means. It's the Greek and the Hebrew words for the anointed one. But what was he anointed with? John tells us. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who is anointed by the Holy Spirit. This is the one who brings the Holy Spirit. He is Messiah. He is Christ. This is the one who will come and end the warfare of God's people. This is the one who will come and pardon all our iniquity. This is the one who comes to reveal God's glory to all flesh. He's the fulfillment of all the promises that God had long ago given to his people. 
And now in front of their very eyes, God was doing a marvelous work. John came baptizing with water, that symbolic washing, but it was a prelude to something greater, the cleansing and the washing with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the one who would dispense God's Spirit and cleanse people with God's Spirit. He was the anointed one who would anoint us with the Holy Spirit and lift our burdens. So friends, we are called to repent so that God may come into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. Jesus is God incarnate, and when we put away our sins, we prepare the way, we get ready, removing the obstacles that keep us from God. When we turn to God for his cleansing, he will take away our guilt and fill us with the Holy Spirit, sealing us for the day of redemption. John heralded the coming of God, Jesus Christ, and Jesus comes to fulfill God's promises by dealing with the sin of his people. He came announcing a better covenant. He came to give us the Holy Spirit. He came to die for us. He came to open the new and living way to God through his own flesh. And he has secured for his people eternal life. But he's not yet finished because the promises of God have not been completely fulfilled yet. He came once to pardon our iniquity and to begin revealing the glory of the Lord, but Jesus will also come again and he will come again soon. The first time he came humbly and gently with comforting words to redeem his people and when he comes again, he will come to judge the earth. He called his people to prepare themselves for his first coming. But that call goes on. We need to prepare ourselves for Christ coming into our hearts. And we need to prepare ourselves for his second coming. When the trump shall resound and Christ shall descend with his holy angels. He will come to judge. But he also comes to minister to his people. Isaiah continued in Isaiah 40. If we go back there for a moment. In verse 10, it says, Behold, the Lord comes with his might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Our Lord, our shepherd comes to minister to us. What now? God will not come in to the rough heart. I, I ask you, probe your, your heart. Are you creating barriers for God to come and work in you? Do you throw up walls against receiving God's love and his mercy? Do you excuse yourself from God saying, Look, I'm too far gone. How could he love someone like me? Or maybe you have the prideful and arrogant way of blocking God's work in your life. Maybe you feel that pricking of your conscience, but you say, I don't need a God crutch. I don't need God's love. I can do this on my own, thank you very much. Go and give your pity to somebody else. All you're doing is blocking God's work in your life. All you're doing is running from God. 
It's a good thing to be afraid of God, to fear Him. But I, I bring you good news that you don't need to fear His judgment because He will come and if you make the way smooth, if you repent, if you turn away from your sins and you put your trust in Him, Jesus will accept you. God will accept you. You don't need to do any Hail Marys. You don't need to atone for your wrongs. You don't need to become an expert in theology. All you need to do is to receive Jesus. He will come and redeem you. He will come and save you. He will lift you out of your guilt and sorrow. Jesus says to you, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus will come to you and give his Holy Spirit. He will seal you and secure you for eternal life. He will preserve you so that when the warfare of this life is finally over, when Christ comes again, you will see the wonder and the the glory of God revealed all while resting in the comforts of Christ. Friends, prepare the way of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we hear your call from the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare for the coming of God. Lord, we recognize that that so often we just want to get on with life and do things our own way. So often we feel like we don't have the capacity to seriously take these things into consideration. Or Lord, for many of us, we feel like you could never love us because of our wretchedness. But Lord, please comfort us. Please come and minister to us by your Holy Spirit and lift us up to behold your glory. Lord, give us that that drive, that need to prepare ourselves for you, to repent from our sins, to prepare for your coming kingdom and even to live in light of that kingdom which is already being manifested through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that the glory of God is being revealed through Jesus and we look forward to that fuller and greater fulfillment at the end of time. Lord, we we know those around us who we see who are wandering far from you and we ask that you would reveal yourself to them so that they might turn and receive your goodness. Lord, as we approach this Christmas season and we see people everywhere celebrating, Lord, we pray that it would be celebrating the coming of Christ into their hearts. Lord, we, we put ourselves at your mercy as the one who has to come and save us, as the people who can't save themselves. Lord, we need you to save us. Thank you that you have saved us through Jesus. Amen. We're going to stand and sing this song. Very appropriate. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean.